Welcome to Northgate's podcast. We pray that you're going to be blessed by hearing God's word. May you be filled with hope as you believe and trust in Jesus. We know the Easter story. We're so encouraged. Good Friday, the death, the resurrection. I know last year I shared about resurrection power. And actually, I think I taught that message four or five times because I did that at Solely Business through my testimony and how through brokenness that we can receive in our weakness the power of God. Because the Holy Spirit is available to work in our lives. Now that's kind of like a little bit of the one chord I know on the guitar, the one string. So I could share that again, but really felt the Lord's taking me a different direction this year. And maybe it has to do with my week or my month. But I wanted to talk about the resurrection and another characteristic, another important part, what we would call a powerful theme in our lives, the risen Christ, our hope. As I sat down this week to write my weekly prayer letter, I had a few different prayer requests in there because this week was a little different than the normal week for me. We had a funeral to participate and do on Wednesday in the midst of the ice storm. And then on Thursday, I had this tremendous joy of going to a group called Keenagers. I usually teach the teenagers, and uh, during the week I do Bible at the Christian school, and I do youth group, so this was a little bit different. It's, I think, I don't know what the age is, but let's just say comfortably over 70, um, though there might be a few stragglers in there. So I had this back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday, and on top of that, of course, we had our little ice storm power go out, a visit to the ER So it was a fun week. But in the midst of that and these added events, there was an amazing joy as I started to pray and people were praying for me that I had one message which will carry on today that we need to emphasize hope. Years ago there was a member of this fellowship, his name was Ralph, and I was close to Ralph and saw Ralph come to know the Lord, disciple him and walk with him till it was time for him to go home. And he always prayed in, uh, how would I say, stories. It was rather unique and fun, and you'd never fall asleep when Ralph prayed. But I remember once telling a prayer, and I've mentioned this before, and even shared the specifics of this story, but he prayed how... You can go to the bank and you can withdraw as much hope as you want. There's no limit because God has it for you and for me. And I think of that in relation to the resurrected Jesus and how we need to understand that because he lives, we have hope. And why do I want to talk about hope? Because our world and our culture is living in hopeless times. Let me define hope for you in a definition 
that I've seen many times. But really, hope is the joyful expectation of good. Is that how you view the circumstances of life? Is that how you see where the world is going or your part in it or your family? As you look forward, do you really have a joyful expectation of good? The reality is our culture is full of complainers and people who are downcast. And I'm not saying it's necessarily unjustified as you watch the news and see things that are happening around us and you see the pain and you see the hurt. But that's not how God has called us to live. And if that is our default position in our mind, to see the negative, which we disguise as calling realist, we don't know the truth of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We are lacking in our theology because we love to talk about forgiveness. And it's almost like we blew it and we're forgiven and it's good. But we have no victory over the battles and we live depressed lives. But the resurrected Jesus gives us amazing hope, joyful expectation of good. As I'll point out this morning for eternity, but it doesn't stop there for here and now. Come on, give me a little more. That's right. Hope. And I guess the question this morning, are you a hopeful person? I'm not talking about a fake positive person or the power of positivity. I'm talking, are you full of the hope that comes from the truth of the risen Christ? What does that mean? That doesn't only mean the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to live in victory. It means power over our mind to know truth truth, to know that God's in control, to know that he's victorious, and to know that his character is good, and he works good in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So this week, this verse came to me in my devotions as well. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me, hoping God For I shall yet praise him, the help, my salvation of my countenance and my God. That's Psalm 42. And when you see something repeated, you better pay attention. Because in that psalm, it's repeated twice in verse 5. And then later in verse 11. Well then, as I kept reading, the next day I was in Psalm 43. So do you wonder how that psalm ends? To my amazement, the exact same verse. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Hope in God. I don't hope in the world. I don't hope in Canada. I don't hope in North America. I don't hope in my blessed wife. I don't hope especially in the Ottawa Senators. I don't hope in any of that. My hope, my joyful expectation is in God. It is in God. Well, Wednesday, I went to this funeral. It was a different kind of funeral for me. But it was a joy for me to be a part of it. 
and talk as Christians, we have an amazing hope. Maybe some pastors don't like doing funerals, but I would say I'm just as happy to do a funeral as a wedding if the person who passed on was a believer in Jesus Christ. Because it's an amazing opportunity to talk about the forgiveness of Jesus. An amazing opportunity. You see, Jesus died and he rose again. And our future is secure in him. So no matter if the person lived perfectly or not perfectly, if we liked them or didn't like them, that's not the point. The point is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the hope of eternity. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how Christ is risen from the dead, the first fruit, and we will follow. And that's the hope at a funeral, that this is not the end of the story. And it's easy to grieve, and we should grieve, but death will not hold us down. What a powerful thought. Actually, it's the ultimate expectation of good. That we will rule and reign, and we will be in Christ's presence forever as we believe and trust in Him. Death, that nasty enemy, has been conquered. And we have a glorious future that awaits. It's almost there's this expectation just to be with Jesus. Listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a message. We have nothing to fear not even death itself, because we will be transformed and be in paradise forever. Does that excite you? Sometimes we don't have the hope of eternity because we're so stuck to this earth. We're so into what's happening here. We don't see all that God has for us. Not that, as Paul says here, it's not that we hope to die. We want to live this life to the fullest but we know that we are secure in paradise awaits. What an amazing hope. And how does that then affect our lives? A little practical example I heard, maybe something like this. Say my family or your family is maybe in a year planning a vacation. And you're really excited. If I put myself in that equation and I think I'm planning it, all my kids will be with me. And we're going to go somewhere, maybe tropical in winter. Why would I think that? I don't know. But anyways, somewhere warm. And we're excited about that. And we know it's going to be wonderful and good, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. we got to do a little saving. That's a good thing, right? 
We're going to save a little. And maybe as we're looking forward to that trip, or you're looking forward to that trip, that you have to do a little sacrifice thinking of that. So maybe you save a little. You don't go out or you cut your cable TV or whatever it is. Maybe you pick up a few extra jobs. And you sacrifice and, and you become obedient to the greater thought of, man, I'm looking forward to that. But actually, it's a joy because you're expecting good. You're expecting wonderful. And this is just an earthly example. Follow my thought here. Heaven is our destination. And how does that practically, this hope, play out? Sacrificing for the Lord and obeying Him become a joy when I think of the ultimate good of eternity. Are you following me? Like I look to that vacation and I'm like, wow, it's easy. And think of Jacob maybe in the Old Testament. It says seven years went like that. Why? He was looking forward to be with his, we thought, Rachel. (laughs) But another seven years as Leah, then Rachel. It says time went like that. The sacrifice, the work, the obedience to Laban was nothing to the thought of the relationship of being with Rachel. Nothing, the good we expect to be with Christ, practically this hope drives us with contentment to sacrifice and serve the Lord. But we have to know what awaits us. We have to know this amazing hope that we have. And then the difficulties and the sacrifices of life, they fade in view of that future. Where are you? Are you hopeful this morning? Does sacrifice become a pleasure in light of the treasure that awaits you in eternity? Are we stuck on this earth? Bad news with no hope. Oh no, we have great hope this morning. Because that Jesus is no longer in the grave. And he is risen and so shall we and we will be with him forever. Oh, that's all well and good. Dan thinking, I think dad, I have so many kids, um, (laughs) of eternity. But what about, yeah, here and now obeying but I don't have a lot of hope in my circumstance. Yeah, it'd be great. And, you know, we do hear a lot of Christians saying, oh, when I get to heaven, but this earth is just, oh, so awful. I want out of here. Have you ever heard a Christian say that? I just can't wait till God comes because this world's a mess. You know, sometimes actually, you know, people are downcast in this world, but sometimes, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but sometimes Christians are worse than unbelievers. Because we actually see it getting worse. And we know, and we're like, how much longer? Right? Well, that's not the way to live. And if you hear someone say that, correct them. And say, no, 
Because there's not only the hope of eternity that affects us, there's a hope for today. You see, we say the Lord's Prayer and we understand that we want heaven on earth. We want God's will to be done in our lives. And we can have not the completion of heaven, but we can have a piece of heaven, the kingdom of God here and now. Well, how do I know? Why would I say that? Well, Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you because he was the king and he was with them. And in Romans, he says it's not eating and drinking, but righteousness, joy and peace, right? That's the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus and his spirit, they live in us. The king lives in us. And the portion of the kingdom can live in us. Righteousness, joy, peace, and hope, no matter your circumstances. Absolutely amazing. So I went on to teenagers, and maybe I'll explain this hope and I already made a little video for the midweek encouragement, so get ready. It's me at Keenagers. We celebrated an 85th birthday, and I met someone who was 95. And they sure give a lot of hugs over there at Keenagers. And they follow along wonderfully. And I thought this message of hope after the funeral of eternity, but their life isn't done. No matter if we think they're older and in the waiting room, no, they can have hope for today. And so as I talked with my kids and I said, I taught on Romans 15, 13. And some of you would be like, oh, that's Dan's verse. Yeah, and I do what I did in Bible, whether they were 70, 80, 90, or I'm with 15 or 16. We just went into memorizing God's truth in that verse. And I don't know, maybe some of you, a couple of years ago, we tried to memorize it in church. And it says this, Now may the God of hope, you're thinking, hmm, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound, or I will add in the Greek, superabound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one to preach on. But I don't want to preach on the whole thing this morning. The whole message is about hope and our future hope and how it changes how we can obey God and, and see what's ahead and we can have hope, the joyful expectation of good today. But practically, how does that work other than seeing heaven? It says this now, may the God of hope... Do you see God in his character as being hope? Or do you see him as negative, as your judge, as after you? Because if you don't see him as wanting to bless and prosper you, and I'm not a prosperity preacher, you are in trouble. If you can't see God wanting joyful good for you, your life will be miserable from one challenge to another and you're going to be downcast. How true that is. 
Don't you love hanging around people who are hopeful? Like they're magnets. Like I'm not saying there's a theology in that. But people who are loving, people who are kind, people who are joyful, people are hopeful. I want to tell you right now, they don't have problems in finding friends. People who are downcast, people who are complainers, aren't the first people we call when we're facing challenge. Oh, I face this challenge. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, I feel sorry for you. I went through that, and oh, man, it was so bad. But if we see God for who he is and understand that he wants you to superabound in the joyful expectation of good, it's a game changer. You see, God's heart is not for you to live in the wilderness. God's heart is for you to live in the promised land. You know, in the Old Testament, it was only supposed to take 10 days and it took 40 years That was not God's heart. God's heart for the people is that they would be in a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not telling you there wouldn't be battles because they had to fight all those countries, all the Ites, the Canaanites, the Gershah. Yeah, there was fighting and there was sin, but there was victory. And God had planned for them to be there. I'm not saying there's not challenges. I'm not saying there's not suffering. But God desires to prosper you mentally and emotionally to come through those things knowing who He is. And we don't want to excuse our hopelessness saying we're realist because if you're a realist, you will see the reality of God and how He conquered this world. We can't play in that line of thinking anymore because it steals your joy. The risen Christ changes everything as the God of hope. He is the God of hope. That is his character. And his desire is not just to fill you with a little joy and peace. It says all joy and peace. Is that your, my This is all for me, by the way. We'll swing it back to Dan. In the midst of my trial, James 1, that I have joy because God is working in me to develop perseverance and patience and character? Or do I go mope in the corner, which I so often can do, not seeing that He is alive and that He is with me and that He is working to the good of those who love him. How do we get there? If that's who God is, and that's not where not who are not, how do we how do we get there? This morning I was driving and it just snapped in to my mind. Second Corinthians three eighteen, and we all with unveiled faces, and we contemplate the Lord's glory. We are transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You have God. He's all hope. He's alive. Here I am struggling. Let's put two and two together. As you look at him 
as you are with him, as you seek him, as you are in his presence, as you look at his glory with your face, you are transformed to be like him. So that hope, because he's the God of hope, comes to me and I super abound in hope. Practically, I'm encouraged because I know if I sacrifice for eternity, but here and now, part B of the sermon, here and now as I look at God and His character and His glory, I am changed And I become one who has an expectation of good in the midst of the junk. And if you're going to fill yourself with things that are discouraging, you will be discouraged. If you're going to fill yourself with a God who is good and encouraging and be in His presence, in His Word, you will be transformed. That's God's word. And for Ralph, you could take it to the bank. Because it's true every time. Dan, this is all good and great. And this is great. I know you've given us practical examples. But there's some bitter, yucky things. There's some hard things that don't taste good. There is sickness. There are broken relationships. There is offense. And I don't see the good. I see what you're saying in my head, but I don't see it in my heart. Maybe a little help. I can't change that for you. You only can by your faith. But I can explain a little bit. And I heard this example which helps out. I don't like fish. I don't like eating fish. It's not my favorite. And if you bring out like sushi or all that stuff or caviar or oysters, that's a bunch of rubber to me. It smells disgusting. (laughs) I don't like it. And then, you know, maybe just pick out an ingredient for yourself or something. You might like, I don't like red meat. I don't like pork. I don't like this or that. Just bring it out. But sometimes in the things that are very yucky and distasteful for you, you can find a masterful chef who creates a sauce. Oh yeah, right, right. You've been to a restaurant. You're like, you never order that. And then you have it once and, oh man, it puts it together. And and the, the taste of the oyster or whatever, the fishy, oh, it doesn't taste fishy actually. It tastes really good. I might even order that again. Because what I don't know what that sauce, this is sweet or, or salty or, or something else. It actually brought the bitterness or the yucky taste and it brought it into the sauce and it was delightful. That's what a great chef does, right? And they have these things and we're like, I never thought I'd like that. Follow me. That God takes the bitterness, the things we don't like, the offense. And he puts his character on that. And he works with that. And somehow, as we trust in him, it changes us to the positive. 
Watch this. I've been with those who have been very sick, those who have had cancer. I've been with those who have gone through incredible persecution. And a common story I hear from them is it took away the dependence upon me and it gave me a dependence on God. And in that dependence on God, I was with him in a way I was never before. And as I trusted him because I couldn't trust myself, there was a sweetness in his presence and a hope that I had never known before. Oh, the sweet sauce and the yuckiness as we become dependent upon him. See, sometimes we don't go into God's presence until we are forced by the events of life. And those people who are sick say, I don't want that cancer back. I don't want that persecution back. But I want that relationship with God that I had in that moment. You see, God works all things together for good. And I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says that he faced danger. He faced deadly peril. But this happened that he might not rely on himself, but that he might rely on God. Hello. Come here to my eyes. Okay? Come here. What are you facing today? Little to big. Do you see in the midst of the bitterness that because of the risen Lord, that God is working dependence to be in His presence, to give you a hope that you've never had before? Do you understand who God is? Do you see that his desire is to fill you with joy and peace? Don't come fixated on the problem. We do that way too much. Fixate on the God who is alive, creating a deeper relationship that you will be like Him. That is hope. 1971, Bill Gaither penned a hymn. You know, we think all hymns were from like 1400. And all people are like, we need the theology of the hymn. Nothing is written today. Well, 1970 isn't so far ago. Do you know that? And there are songs actually that are written today that have great scriptural truth as well. I'm not saying the old hymns are bad. They're great too. Bill Gaither, 1971. I couldn't stop singing it this morning, and I'm not going to sing it now. That's not my gift. But I will say it and follow along with me because it's the whole message of this sermon. 
Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future, life is worth the living just because He lives. You know the tune? I want you to know the words. That's the Easter message. Because I believe there's people in this room who are not living hopeful lives. And God has so much more for you, for your family, and for our church, for our community, and I would dare say even this world. Because He lives. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. You truly are the God of hope. You desire good for us. And Lord, there are tough times. But may we understand because you are alive, you've conquered death in the grave, that you're working good through the yucky things that we would see who you are, that as we are become more dependent upon you, that we would be changed glory to glory, that we would superabound in hope because of the work that you have done. We're not stuck in Saturday, folks. Lord Jesus, help us to know that we have victory and hope. May we apply it to our lives this morning. Holy Spirit, would you help us? And pray this in your precious and your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message this morning. If you'd like more information about Northgate, you can find us on the internet at northgateministry.com. We'd love to hear from you and have a great week.